0: Hi there, and welcome to season one of The Practice, a podcast by Align Technology. I'm your host, Chris Barrow. And in each episode, I connect with successful orthodontists in the Middle East region to get to know them, understand their mindsets, their motivations, and how they've built their practice to where it is today. Today, I'm talking to an orthodontist based in Al-Jahra, Kuwait, who is ambitious, full of energy, instagram famous but things didn't look so bright for him when he first started out
1: they told me uh, if you wanted to work in any of these centers you have to share the clinic with another with another dentist uh, except in jahra hospital where you can you have where you can have your own room or your own clinic and jahra is the most the most north city, which is the proximity to Iraq up north, and Jahra is is I wouldn't call it the suburb. It's where people from the lower socioeconomic background are. You know, it's not as developed as the center or the south. Uh, the Jahra people are uh, the people with with the Bedouins background and uh, Bedouins ancestors. So they they're basically. Uh, grandfathers and mothers were basically living in the desert and i was like really i go to jahra because that's not where you shine basically you shine in the center you shine in the city uh, and i had in mind that i want to go to private sector but at the same time i don't want to share a clinic with somebody else because you only work from 8 to 1 p.m
0: This is Dr Mubarak describing the moment when he thought his career was going off track. Al-Jahra was not the place where careers were built in Kuwait, but as it turns out, it's where his was going to be built. He just didn't know it then. He also didn't know that he was going to be one of the pioneers of remote dentistry in the country with almost half of his patients from outside his modest city.
1: I'm now famous in Instagram. I have patients coming from the city to my practice in Jahra. I have patients actually coming from Saudi Arabia and Qatar and UAE coming to me, not only to Kuwait, but to Jahra. I have more than 40% of my patients actually coming from outside Jahra. And like most of them, when they come to me, this is the first time we are in Jahra.
0: Today I'm talking with him from Al Jahra, where he's been practicing for most of his career. And in this episode, we're going to talk about his journey to where he is today, the experiences in the city that shaped his career, his adventures in tele and the impact it's had on how he has cultivated his personal practice. And so on with the episode. Dr. Mubarak Al-Sayed from Kuwait is my guest. A very good evening to you,
1: Dr. Mubarak. How are you? Very good, thank you, Chris. Very good evening to you too, and I'm as excited as you are to know a little bit about you as well. Well,
0: that, that's very, very kind of you. And uh, you know what, we will probably have to have a conversation when the interview is um uh, concluded, uh, because I know that you had some interesting questions about my uh, my CV, and I will promise you I will give you the answers to those questions. But listen. I am going to jump straight into the deep end of this swimming pool because there was one standout piece of information about you in the brief that I was given. And I have to say that earlier today, I went to have a look at your Instagram profile. Uh, So I've already been there. I've already had a look. But I have a burning question. And the question is, how on earth did you manage to get 44,000 people following you on Instagram? What happened?
1: Yeah. So uh, to be honest, first of all, now when when we talk about social media, I think that is one of the most important factor for my success in my practice right now. So uh, I, I basically jumped on social media early on and uh, mainly instagram Uh, and i was regular and i was being myself and uh, i believe the key to success with social media is just to be yourself and be regular and as people and you know patients uh, see the true person behind that doctor they get to like that person and, uh, you know, they start getting interested about you and, you know, to get to know you more. And, uh, you know, month by month, the following started increasing. And I started, you know, whenever I get the chance to be more regular, more focusing on it, because, it's, as I mentioned, it was really one of the most important factors to the success of my practice. So, um, yeah, this is how it builds on to the stage that it is right now.
0: Uh, when you look at the, uh, the new patients who are coming to see you now, um, does it, do you then factor in Instagram and your visibility on Instagram? Do you factor that in as being a very, very important driver in bringing new patients to your clinic?
1: Definitely. And what I feel like, that, that, that's helping, that you know when the patient comes to me, I feel they already know me before they meet me, because they've been on my page, they've seen my stories, they've seen a little bit about my private life, which helps me communicating with them, which helps basically the whole process of getting to know each other much smoother. Uh, So it does uh, definitely help. Um, And I feel like the patients, when they meet me, they're basically at ease. They feel like they've met me before. They feel like they've known me before. And that also reduce the time that I have to introduce myself and so on and so on. So yeah, it does really help. I have a few lectures that I give all over the GCC in the Middle East. And uh, one of the topic is how to succeed uh, with digital orthodontics. And one of the most important topics uh, is actually social media and marketing.
0: Thank you um so um i what I want to do now is that we we, we find ourselves in in the company uh, in this interview of somebody who has really established themselves as a social media presence uh, within the community um, but what I'd like to do now as I always do is to kind of take us back in history um, to uh, you beginning your journey in dentistry and so um i have a couple of questions the first question is what what were the influences uh, that brought you into the world of dentistry as a younger person in the first place uh, what attracted you to dentistry and secondly could you take us through your very very early days in dentistry uh, through qualification and, and then appearing as a, a, a graduate into the workplace. So how did, how did this dental journey begin for you?
1: Okay, that's a, a, a very long time ago. When I was probably eight years old, I had an incident, a dental dentist incident, which was not very pleasant. And I still remember it really very well. I remember that uh, you know my parents, my, my, my father, who has passed away a long time ago, now and my mother my mother were basically running after me in a corridor i was running and crying in that corridor with my clothes we have the traditional called Dishdasha, the white you know if you know that crest the the, the white dress the long one we call it Dishdasha. wearing my little Dishdasha, i was i was eight years old uh, and that white dastageh was almost full of blood, while I'm running and crying, and my parents were running after me. Uh, and I, uh, and one was coming, one person was coming in the other direction, and he basically caught me and handed me to my father. And that incident was uh, at the dentist where he pulled out my baby teeth, my serious teeth, and. Uh, I don't remember if it was painful or not, but I remember the, the the traumatic experience that I had, and I don't really I don't really know why that attracted me to dentists and why that attracted me to be a dentist. I think if 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 we think about it, it should have been the other way around. It should have been like pushing me away from dentists, but that incident really stuck in my mind. And after that time, I felt like I really wanted to be a dentist. You ask me why? I have no idea. But that was the trigger which basically wanted, I mean, which started me wanting to be a dentist. So uh, and as I was growing up in you know secondary school, then high school, then I developed another interest, which is a pilot. So I wanted then that i thought you know i really want to be either a dentist or a pilot <laughs> you know they have nothing in common and uh, they were my <laughs> my two uh, dream jobs but then uh, i started thinking like pilots you have to live in the on, you have to live on the plane and you know I mean, which, which takes lots of time away from your family and your kids. Uh, so that's why I, lim- I eliminated that option. Uh, and then let's go, let's go back and stick to dentistry. And that what happened.
0: So uh, talk to me about where you studied your dentistry. And uh, also talk to me about the very, very first steps after your graduation. So where did you qualify? Uh, were there any great mentors that that you remember during that qualification process? And as you came out from dental school, what were your first steps in terms of your career path? There? All right.
1: So I started actually uh, in high school. I was not one of my, you know, not the, the top of my class. So I was always above average. Uh, I was not the you know, the top of my class. And, and to get into dentistry, you need to be among the top three, top five. So I was not there. And that's why I couldn't study in Kuwait. So I had to look for somewhere else to go and study dentistry because that's what I wanted to be. And uh, as I was going to, we had an agency to, to, to basically guide you through uh, your options of where you you study. And uh, one of the options as he was telling me about the good options, and one of the options were uh, Prague in Czech Republic. And as I heard that option, uh, because I have some uh, background on Czech Republic, actually uh, when I was uh, in 1989, when I was again, about seven years old, my sister was having treatment in Czech Republic for her for her leg. She had a a birth um, a problem with one of her uh, on her foot, and she was having a long physiotherapy treatment in Czech Republic. And she was coming back every now and then to me you know, getting me gifts and showing me pictures about how green and how beautiful it is. And actually, when the invasion of of Iraq happened to Kuwait, my sister was in Czech Republic. So, uh, you know, Kuwait was taken off. She was not with us. Uh, She was in a different country. So that had, I had lots of memory about Czech Republic as I was young. And as he told me this option is like, I know this country, and I you know I have uh, you know I have uh, a background about this country and uh, basically, I told him if you give me a few contacts of Kuwaiti students studying in Czech Republic, I would like to call them and ask them more about this country and I did, and they told me all the good things about it, so I decided to go there, so that's where I studied dentistry in Czech Republic in Charles University in Prague. I spent seven beautiful years in that country. I enjoyed every moment of it. And after that, I came back to Kuwait, where I had to practice for about one and a half year. And uh, we call it, uh, you have rotations, internship. And during that one and a half year in the Ministry of Health, I had to do my MFD, uh, which is the membership of the Royal College of Surgeons in Ireland. So there was two parts, I finished those both parts, which helps strengthen my CV for my applications, uh, for my orthodontic program. And then I went to the UK, I applied uh, Newcastle, Manchester, Liverpool. Uh, I got a few uh, opportunities, a few acceptance, and I chose Manchester. So that's where I studied orthodontics. I studied in Manchester. And I spent there three years, again, amazing choice. Uh, 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 Yeah, you're from Manchester, Chris, as well. No? (laughs) So, (laughs) uh, yeah. So I spent three years in Manchester, an amazing city. I felt like it has the right balance between entertainment and uh, focusing in your study and your specialization and your uh, orthodontic program. And I I spent some of my clinical work in Stoke and Trent as well. Uh, And after uh, Manchester, I did my MF, uh, sorry, M-Orth in the Royal College of Surgeons in Edinburgh. After that, I came back home to practice orthodontics, what I love the most. And uh I, I want to
0: pick up on that. I mean first of all, congratulations on the choice of Manchester. I have to applaud you on such a great decision <laughs> um, uh, but uh, secondly uh, and and probably quite predictably, I have to ask you why orthodontics? why were you attracted to that particular specialization?
1: you know when you come back after your dental? Uh, degree, you come back and you go into rotation, spending three months in each, every specialization. And uh, orthodontics—it's uh, uh, something that I loved even during dentistry. During dentistry, you, you don't get exposed to uh, ortho much, uh, but I had an interest in orthodontics, and I was uh, going even after after we finish uh, our classes and our sessions. I go. And I spent time in in the orthodontic department. So I had uh, that interest in in orthodontics since my dental uh, days. And uh, so I wanted to be either orthodontist or a surgeon. Again, totally two different specializations. But I I moved away from surgery because I wanted to be in private sector. And I felt surgery. Uh, they need to spend more time in, in the hospital where they do trauma, you know, uh, uh, orthognathic surgeries, cancer patients. So you have to be, in in, in what we call in what you call in the UK NHS, you have to be in the hospital. And I didn't want to do that. I wanted to be full time in private sector. That's why I went to orthodontics. What I love about it is that. It, um, there is no cookbook, it's, it's a challenge your mind. Uh, uh, no two, two treatments are the same. It brings the creativity and the treatment planning in you, and that's what I like about it. It keeps you interested, everything in you, every case is different, and that's what I love about it, and that's why I chose the Orthodontics.
0: So, you have completed your studies and you are back in kuwait and i believe that i'm right in saying that that it would be normal in that situation then to work for the government in the delivery of dentistry and i know that you did do that on your return but also that it wasn't that long before you were beginning to move into private practice um so i'd be interested for our listeners on hearing your thoughts about that transition from government work into private practice. How long before that happened? And what were the influences in making that decision to move into private practice?
1: Now, uh, the law in Kuwait is that after you come from your specializations, you have to spend three years working in the government because you've been sponsored by the government to study orthodontics. So you have to give back to them um, three years of work, but I didn't do that. I moved right after one year of working as an orthodontist in the government. And to do that, I had to pay the fees they spent on me in Manchester back to them. And uh, why I left government, because I wanted to be independent. I wanted to do the things I'm doing right now. I wanted to get into digital orthodontics early on. I wanted to get to aligners early on. And these options are not available in the government. You're restricted with an entity and you have to follow the rules of what to use and and, and which cases to treat and which cases not to treat. And uh, I really wanted to move to... Private practice because that's where you can do the things you love. That's where you can improve and 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 help be the best version of yourself in your career. Uh, so I moved from from the government after the first year, and you know paid them back, and everyone is happy and win win situation for everyone. Yeah, so actually my mom was against it. Um, she was like. Uh, now after you know the government spent the money on you and all that you want to leave them <laughs> and go to your uh, private practice i told her um, uh, you know even in private practice uh, because my mom is from the older generation so she hasn't went she hasn't been to school um, but uh, she, uh, she has a wisdom that i believe uh, is is much more than education um, I told her um, you know even in private sector I'll be helping my serving my country among community because uh, government is one part but private is also as important and that's where I can serve my country best and I told her that I went to the ministry of health and then the secretary uh, and I asked him if moving to practice is okay, which I did really. And he told me, go ahead. uh, And they don't need me in the government. And that's why, you know, she was okay with me moving to private. So when you moved into private practice,
0: uh, did you do that completely by yourself? Did you open up
1: your very own business by yourself right from the beginning? No, um, that's not the norm in Kuwait. Now, after you come back, um you work in the government and then you move to work for some of the established practices Uh, because the normal Kuwait is not to open uh, a one unit or two unit dental practice the norm in kuwait is to have centers of different specialities like ortho, pedo, surgery, endo and so and so on and that is not it's not easy to do when you don't have the experience, not the exposure. still nobody knows you. So I went and worked for a established dental practice. And actually they gave me two offers. one is part-time where you can stay in the government into afternoon and one is full-time. And the norm back then was people were doing part-time. they hanged on into government sector because it's a secure job. It's only from 8 to 1 o'clock uh, to 1 p.m. So it's about six hours, really. Uh, it's light and it's good, it's good money. So people were doing it the private uh, part-time, but what I wanted to do is focus on the percent and I chose the full-time option. And speaking of, 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 speaking of that, now when I came uh, from Manchester, Um, We have in Kuwait, Kuwait is a small country, Chris. We are, the Kuwaiti is about one million only. Uh, So in Kuwait, we have five dental hospitals, which is a big hospital where you have, I'm mean i talking about government sector, where you have uh, different specialties, orthodontic surgery and so on and so on. And you have small polyclinics which refer to those centers. And when I came uh, from Manchester, um, uh, most uh, of these centers were filled up with orthodontists. Uh, And they told me, uh, if you wanted to work in any of these centers, you have to share the clinic with another another orthodontist, Uh, except in Jahra Hospital, where where you can have your own dental uh, I mean, when, when you can ha- you have your own basically room or your own clinic, and Jahra is the most the most north city, which is the proximity to Iraq up north, and Jahra is is I wouldn't call it the suburb, uh, but it's where uh, uh, the people from the lower socioeconomic background are. You know, it's not as developed as the center or the south. Uh, the Jahra People are uh, the people with with the Bedouins background and Bedouins and sisters. So they're, they're basically uh, grandfathers and mothers were basically living in the desert. And I was like, really, I go to Jahra because that's not where you shine. Basically, you shine in the center, you shine in the city. Uh, and I had in mind that I want to go to a private sector. But at the same time, I don't want to share a clinic with somebody else because you only work from 8 to 1 p.m. And that's a very short time that if you share, if you share that clinic with another orthodontist, that means you literally will work only three hours. And I came back full of energy. I wanted to work eight hours. I want to see as many patients as I want. And uh, uh, my family and my wife actually told me, it's okay, you can go to Javra. Opportunities are endless don't look at it this way, Uh, go to Jahra if that's where you want to do and see what will happen. Uh, Also that area needs qualified orthodontists to work and help help serve those communities and uh, that's, that's what I did. That's what I did and I thought I'm going to be away from the spots so nobody would know me, even the practice owner, the established one, you will not be exposed to them, you're somewhere far. Uh, Luckily, Bayan Dental came to me and they told me we're opening a dental center in Jahra and Bayan Dental is one of the most, if not the most, established dental center in Kuwait. Would you be interested to be the medical director for that center? Uh, And I thought, yes. I would love that. And I spent uh, eight years with the Dental, serving as the medical director for that Jahra branch. And now I opened my own dental center with 14 clinics with different specialty. And we are now running for one year. And after I moved, or after I decided I want to move and do my own, I thought, now where do I do? What, what do I do? Do I go and open in, in the city in the center where you can have a flagship center? you know because as you mentioned early on, I'm now semi-influencers, I'm now famous in Instagram, I have patients coming from the city to my practice in Jahra. I have patients actually coming from Saudi Arabia and Qatar and UAE coming to me, not only to Kuwait but to Jahra so now i can afford and open in the center and i know i will be busy and i will be getting new patients you know from the start but my wife again the 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 reason why i stayed in jahra they told me look mubarak you are what you are right now because of those people uh And now, after you made it, you want to go and abandon them and open in the center? That does not sound right. And I thought, yeah, actually, you're right. And I thought, no, my first practice should be in Jahra. And that's what I did. And I'm running it for one year now. Super successful, Alhamdulillah. And right now, we're actually constructing another center in the city. And hopefully it should be ready in about four months.
0: Just satisfy my own
1: curiosity
0: here, which is that I uh, I am fascinated to hear that the the population of Kuwait is one million. Uh, as you know, I live in a city uh, that has a population of two million. So. Uh, to imagine a country with a population of one million is very difficult for me uh, but if you look at jahra what what is the population of the of the area in which the clinic actually is what's the jahra population
1: okay now if you look at you now the kuwaitis are one million but we are with expats we're about four millions so the whole country yeah. with the expats are, we are four millions so, uh, Jahra, there are about uh, 50,000 people. In Ku- I mean, I'm talking about Ku- Kuwaitis, about 50 to 60,000 people, locals, but I'm not sure what the population with the expats. Now, the expats in Kuwait are not as, you know, uh, the expats in Dubai or UAE, so they're not really. Um uh, our customers, uh, they're mostly, mostly laborers, mostly you know drivers, and so on and so on. So we don't count and expect. So 100% of our patients are just Kuwaitis. So they have about 50, 60, but I, I have more than 40% of my patients actually are coming from outside Java. And like most of them, when they come to me, this is the first time we are in Jahra. And some of the female uh, dentists that we would like to hire here, they like, their family wouldn't allow them to go and work in Jahra because of the distance as well as the background that the country has about it. But I love the people, they're just as educated, they're the purest hearts, they have the most respect for doctors and dentists. And, yeah, um, I love it. I didn't see that coming. But So um, would it be fair to
0: describe you as somebody who is a scientist, but you are also
1: a sentimentalist at the, at the same time? Actually, I always thought I'm a robot. I felt like, you know, I <laughs> uh, felt like, um, uh, I'm sure that's not true, but, you know, uh, Felt like I was trained to be a scientist. You know, that's why I thought when they, when Alain told me about podcast, I thought you know I'm not very good at this. I'm, I'm very good at you know answering uh, based on research and scientific facts, but not 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 very good at just talking general talk. And um, uh, I'm not really sure if I'm a sentimental person, but I, I give you that to judge, Chris. <laughs> uh
0: thank you. Now um I, I want to bring us um a little bit up to date because um I want to uh go to the start of the uh, COVID pandemic. And uh, of course all of us, all of us uh were faced with huge challenges. Uh, when COVID first became on the news and we knew that this thing was happening. Um, when you go back to those very, very first days of COVID, when we all slowly but surely began to realise that this was serious, um, that it was going to have a huge impact on us, um, there you are in your clinic in Jahara. What were the thought processes that were going through your mind in terms of business continuity as this new pandemic began to uh, unravel in front of us what what how did you decide to deal with covid
1: when covid started kuwait had uh, this, the, the 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 stiffest rules and restrictions among all the gcc countries so we were following the ministry of health regulations and on, on how to you know cross cross infection control temperatures and so on so on so on, but uh, as uh, we have regular meetings on Zoom with the other medical director directors at Bay- I was at Bayan back then, we decided for the safety of our patients, the safety of our staff also, is to shut down all five dental beyond dental centers and of course that is a huge thing to do and a huge step to do and we thought in spite of all the loss we're going to have in spite of all the consequences we have to go and take that decision and right after we did it in about one week the ministry of health Released restrictions to shut down all dental practices in the country, and that is, I mean, a tragedy. As you can um, uh, tell, uh, to our patients, to to us, to you know, to the not only fi- it's financial in all in all aspects, it's a financial catastrophe, it's an emotional also catastrophe. What will what will our patients do? Uh, without us checking back on them and so it was a big uh, a big really tragedy and uh, we didn't know really how could we deal with that. We didn't know what will we do next. So we were basically thinking on our fate on what to do day after day. Uh, so we shut down. In total, for about seven months, complete total shutdown. And um, the first month or so, we had nothing to do. Basically, I I was also, we had 100% lockdown. So we were in, indoor all the time. So I had my family with me. Actually, I had bought a farm just few months before COVID, about six months before COVID, which came in as a great place uh, because I moved with my family to the farm during the lockdown, where we had, you know, a bigger space for the kids and so on and so on. But what really, what really helped us and what was amazing is that this feature which Align came with and uh, which called this this, this the Smile Consult, which is basically a virtual appointments that you have with your patients. So Align sent us an email and said, this is a tool that you can use to see your patients during that time. And then I thought with myself, like really virtual appointment, would that work? especially that uh, all of my patients are female. And my practice is in Jahra, where is the most conservative uh, community. And females mostly are covered here in Jahra. They're conservative. And I thought, will they be able to open their cameras with a stranger online? They might not really be willing to do that so i thought this is most likely it's not going to be successful but nevertheless i have to try it because i have nothing else to do so i jumped on it i was the first one to jump on that feature. and with my social media i was doing instagram story actually i instagram uh, the first few patients and i have the videos right now and i show them uh, during my presentations and my lectures. And uh, yes, I still remember my first patient, we opened the camera, I opened my camera, and the uh, patient didn't know what Zoom was, and I didn't know what Zoom was. So it was, you know, my secretary did a great job with sending them links to download Zoom, and this is how it works, and this is what you can do. And asked them to open the camera. I opened my camera. And you know, I share a screen. All oh, this was new to us. We did, we did so we were like, we really, you know, didn't know what was happening. Um, and you know, I can see them, I can they can see me, we share the screen, I showed them what, which stage they are, at which aligner they are. It's like, look, you are here now, you're aligned number 18. What we will do. Uh, we will send you aligners to your home, so uh, we had a, a company where a few companies had a license to deliver or to drive during the lockdown and uh, my secretary was we issued her a license also to go to the clinic and to get the patients invisalign aligners and to get them into bag and hand them to the delivery company and the delivery company was driving and delivering those aligners to patient homes. And I was uh, recording uh, all of these experiences and the patient's feedback on my Instagram story. And people were fascinated. And I get the feedback from my patients. Doctor, what you do is amazing. How you are following up with us, how you're coming out a few ways, delivering aligners to our homes. And they were really appreciative and as my other patients saw that features and saw me seeing my patients sadly this was only available for the invisalign patients because that's where i can follow up i can see at what stage they are and i can um, deliver aligners but for my fixed appliances patients they were only an emergency tool if they have an emergency of wires came out you don't really you don't really can't really do much. You just take, give them little instructions, and that's all. So it mainly was for my invisible patients, and my invisible patients were texting my secretaries through WhatsApp and said, "Please book us in. Please book us book us in," and we were, you know, booking appointments. I was doing daily, every day, uh, after my two little daughters go to sleep, from 10 p.m. to 12 two hours, I see every, uh, for, for every 15 minutes one patient, so I see eight patients a day, sometimes 10, 12, so every day. Uh, and also there was a great tool for the practice to make money because we were sending links to patients to pay online. So it was a source of income where we had zero income to the clinic. So that also is amazing. Uh, so I really salute Invisalign for doing this. It was an amazing feature. And now that I'm talking about, I'm getting all emotional. I think I have goosebumps right now, Chris, remembering all of these days. So even after COVID, it's not still, COVID is still on. <laughs> it feels like it's not going to end. Uh, but we're using these features even when we're back to normal life. I have a patient now who lives in Kiev, I have a patient who lives in Seoul, I have a patient who lives in the, you know, many of them lives in the US, I have many students who are actually in the UK in Manchester where you are right now and I'm using the Smile Consult I'm using the now the virtual uh, monitoring um, uh, features so all of these tools which we didn't know in the past when which came to help us during the COVID days really we're carrying on using them right now so
0: uh, so what you have done is that you have turned uh, Jahra into a global center of excellence (laughs) thank you thank you for that yeah I hope so I hope so and Looking forward, and I think that you've made reference to this, um, as we move out of the pandemic, and and pleased that we do move out of the pandemic over the months ahead, um, are you in a situation now where you will actually retain many aspects of that digital communication with your patients, um, even though it, that we may be more free to travel? Do you see digital communication do you see telehealth as being a permanent phenomenon now in terms of how you deliver your services
1: definitely chris i feel like what was uh, invented to be used during covid is helping us right now during and hopefully after covid uh, because now i'm more confident Giving longer appointment to my patients. I'm more confident not seeing them uh, every month or so. I'm more confident seeing them every three, four months. And uh, I'm also using it for my uh, patients outside who lives outside Kuwait and embassies or speed patient that comes to me now from other parts of the GCC. As I mentioned, I have patients coming from Saudi Arabia and uh, Qatar and so on and I can serve those patients. So my, my patient uh, basically segment got broadened with those features. I can afford to treat patients and see them really uh, once every five, six months because I can monitor, monitor them remotely. I can have those smile consult tools for them. So digital orthodontics is here definitely to stay. And uh, that was really obvious to us even before COVID, because looking at history, Chris, we know that when you compare digital versus analog, digital always wins. And be it in dentistry or somewhere else, we know that from history and we learned the lesson that digital always wins. Be it now digital currency, we know that digital currency will definitely win. It might not be Bitcoin, but you know, Digital currencies will will win definitely, looking at robots now, taking, you know, uh, robots versus humans in many jobs, we know that robots will win, driveless car will win, uh, and so on and so on, and as well as digital orthodontics or digital dentistry definitely will win, and that one aspect is the teledentistry, uh, which could be used in conjunction with digital orthodontics or digital dentistry in, in, in general. And I believe the smart dentist should see that very clearly and should seize that and should jump on it and not to be uh, the latest to join the team. So So I have to ask you,
0: as well as being an orthodontist and as well as being a social media personality, um, are you also now becoming a farmer?
1: Indeed I am. Maybe <laughs> a little bit about my childhood as I was young. I had a little farm actually with all types of animals. I love animals since I was maybe five years old. My father had a big garden for me, which he had a big fence around it here. And he told me you can put whatever animals you want right there. And we have Friday Animal Market. And that was my best, uh, my my highlight in the weekend is to go to the Friday animal market, uh, I mean, yeah, every Friday. And go and buy a new animal every Friday and bring them back to my garden. So yes, I love nature, I love animals, all sorts of animals, and I love uh, farming, definitely. This is my weekend getaway.
0: And you, you have mentioned that you are in the process of uh, opening uh a second clinic um, in the big city. Um, What, if we look maybe three years from now, uh, what does your business plan say uh, in in terms of your overall business? Where are you planning to go next in in development of your business?
1: Three years from now. Okay, Um, so we're opening a second branch focusing in digital dentistry and digital orthodontics. And uh, the next would be another incubate and also in the GCC. So our step is to establish a system, set up a software, and then take that to all the GCC and replicate that hopefully successful business model in Saudi Arabia, Qatar, and so on. So that's our plan, hopefully for the next three years. And we need to get larger and larger. My next practice is gonna be 15 clinics, but with the capacity to open more because there is a space next to us. So the, the, the idea is to take that, start with 15 clinics, but then and expand that same practice to hopefully even to 50 clinics, to five zero, and make it really a big dental center. In the center of kuwait and actually uh, i'm going to give you a, a, a piece of information that is confidential and nobody knows so you're the first person to know chris so our next practice is going to be in the avenues mall the avenues mall is the top mall in kuwait is the biggest mall in kuwait i think also in the gcc if you've been to Kuwait, you've sure been to the avenues. So, my next practice is going to be in the avenues. Big news, inshallah.
0: How exciting!
1: Yeah, very
0: much indeed. I have one last question that I would like to ask you, um, and that is that there will be people listening to this podcast who are at the very beginning of their dental career, uh, maybe recently qualified, maybe beginning the journey. Um, If you could give them one piece of advice about their future years, what would that piece of advice be?
1: Uh, First of all, of course, do what you love. Uh, That's number one advice. Do what you love. And don't worry about success. Uh, Don't choose speciality because uh, it has more chance of succeeding or because uh, it makes more money because every speciality you can shine, every with every speciality you can succeed. So um, number one piece of advice is just do what you love and uh, doing what you love the most will definitely help you succeed in your career.
0: Thank you, and uh, it reminds me uh, of a quotation uh, from uh, a man by the name of Isidore Sharp, who is the founder of the Four Seasons Hotel Group, uh, who famously said, if you do what you love, you will never work a day in your life. A
1: day in your life.
0: And uh, and it seems that... uh, You. It seems that you are doing what you love, and uh, and it's very, very clear uh, that you are very successful at it. Uh, So I am going to thank you, Dr. Mubarak, for your time with me. I'm going to thank you for sharing your story and your insights with our listeners. I am going to wish you every success in your future enterprises and endeavors, whether it's the Avenues, Mal, whether it's in Jahra, wherever you are, uh, success to you. I think it is very, very well deserved. It's been an absolute pleasure to meet
1: with you. Thank you. Thank you very much, Chris. It's been a pleasure having this podcast with you. I've enjoyed it very much. And I hopefully look forward to welcoming you in Avenues, more.
0: Thank you. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm going to hand back now to our team. Uh, because I do believe that they are waiting uh, to run onto the stage, hug us and lift us on their shoulders and carry us around uh, to triumphant (laughs) applause. (laughs) Uh, Thank you, Chris. Dr Mubarak's advice at the very end about doing what you love and not to worry about success that may sound familiar like something that you've heard before but it does certainly ring true when you see it from the lens of his story he went from starting out with a practice based in one of the most conservative parts of kuwait to having a region wide patient base that enables him to dream bigger and pursue his ambitions and it wouldn't be possible without teledentistry that is the future And that's it for this episode. If you've enjoyed it, please help us by rating and reviewing our podcast. It helps people to find us. And if you haven't already, do subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform. In the next episode, I'll be talking with another prominent orthodontist from the region to get to know them, understand their mindsets, motivations, and how they've built their practice. And until then, I'm Chris Barrow, And this has been the practice.